Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Travis Brown of the College Station Eagle. And uh, Travis, appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Uh, have you found anything to have write about or anything like that? Anything happened today down there in College Station? You know, slow news day. Uh, just just eking along today. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine so. Oh man, yeah, because I was—I think me among many people watched that press conference uh, today, and obviously it was one that was not planned. And I know you were there as well. So let's just get your first reactions to being at that press conference, hearing what Jimbo Fisher had to say, and in the manner that he said it. Well, just for the context, you know the the. Nick Saban stuff broke last night around 10, 30, 11. You know, we're already trying to get the paper out to the, the presses and everything like that. So it was really last minute to begin with. And then uh, get woken up this morning. I was helping check the pages last night. So I was up really late. So I, I was a little bit of a late sleeper this morning. Got woken up saying, hey, we just got an email. Check this out. And it was at 9.22 a.m. for a 10 o'clock Jimbo Fisher press conference. So it was a mad dash to get over there for everyone in town. And uh, it was um, – some parts were as expected, but I don't think that we knew exactly how pointed Jimbo Fisher was, was going to be. And, I mean, it was an absolute trading of, of barbs when you go into Jimbo Fisher calling Nick Saban a narcissist and calling him God and that people have elected him the czar of college football and – Probably my uh, favorite one, talking about how if he lied or cheated, his old man would slap him upside the head and saying that maybe should, someone should have done that to him, as, of course, talking to Nick Saban. So it was it was more heated than I actually thought it would be, even though Jimbo has had a, a tendency to be heated about things uh, over this past year. Did Jimbo take many questions after that? We heard one question that he was asked, and he kind of, went on about that but did he take many questions today and and what was the basis of some of the questions and and some of his responses yeah yeah he took he took pretty much all the questions that we we had on it and you know uh one of them was if uh he's talked to Saban since the comments last night and he said no but not not for lack of trying from Saban's part he just hasn't wanted to take the call and and his quote to that is we're done which is Another really interesting point of all of that, considering that Jimbo Fisher was, of course, one of his offensive coordinators at LSU. They have uh, said that they are friends, had a really closer relationship. Uh, you know, even, you know, the, the barb that when Jimbo Fisher said that they were going to, uh, or excuse me, when, yeah, when Jimbo Fisher said A&M was going to, you know, beat their butt last year in a, in a talking season thing last summer, Nick Saban kind of laughed at that in golf because, you know, they're golfing buddies and, and, and whatnot. Um, and, and, for Jimbo Fisher to come back and say he's done with Nick Saban, that's 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 something, especially with kind of how tight knit you know the the coaching community can be. Um, he he went into um, uh, some some you know clarified that that he said that they have not done anything I- illegal um, and and kind of tried to get a little bit into some of the his ideas of of what should be changed in, in NIL. And, and the funny part about it is ultimately what Nick Saban was saying last night in the course of his whole NIL diatribe that the A&M part got pulled out of, he was talking about wanting uniformity and parity uh, when it comes to NIL across college football. And that's something that Jimbo Fisher is, has clamored for over the last several months, and he did it again today. So ultimately, in a, in a funny 
instance, the, the argument is same from the same from the both of them. It's just that the examples that are being given, given that in the barbs that have been traded between the, the actual points of the message. Well, I'll say this. I kind of made the joke, but I feel like you should have asked him in the heat of the moment uh, if there was any, uh, you know, uniform combinations that they're going to be trying out this fall. You know, just like take some sort yeah, of random question. The, 20, the, the 25-man roster changes from uh, – <laughs> Yeah, that that yeah, we were we were we were joking about that before too. Yeah, that now that would have been funny just to see his response there as well. But you know, just just looking at the overall tone because this is the second time really that Jimbo's addressed this at least in a major way because Lane Kiffin had his comments earlier too. Uh, I, I mean, is was anything going to to change or anything from this? Because it seems like obviously Jimbo is dug into the dirt and he's he's fighting this, and Saban doubled down because he said something earlier and he said it again. And, you know, he kind of said it in a, in a manner that was, you know, some would take insulting for sure. But uh, do you think that this is going to be the end of it or is this going to be something that gets dragged out and continues to get talked about? Well, the curious part about this, and I know there's uh, I've, I've been back and forth. I know it's been a busy day for him with Ross Bjork today. And, um, you know, he, there, there's been mentions that Bjork has reached out to say that uh, Saban's comments were in violation of the uh, uh, SEC bylaws that say you can't disparage another coach or institution in your public comments, which is a bylaw, uh, and no real word back from what the SEC has to say about that. But you got to think, Greg Sankey, people at the uh, the SEC, maybe some of the uh, school administrators are kind of going to kind of rein this in and say, like, guys, you know, you can't you can't do this because uh, you know if you can't make these comments in a press conference after a game and, and disparage the refs and you know, say things like that. You, you, you can't do it during talking season either. You've got to think that some of the higher-ups are going to start reining this in and, and probably, and uh, to, the, to, the, to, the not, to the dismay of, of everyone who tunes into it, you know, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban going after each other at SEC Media Days is probably not something to put on your bingo card in free space because you think this is going to get blown over by then. Where did the disconnect come in with these guys? Is it just the basis is recruiting, or is it the fact that Jimbo became the first assistant coach to beat Saban and it's about healthy competition? Where's the disconnect? I don't think it has much to do about the, the, the actual game last year. I think, I mean, what I think is I think that it's kind of become common for coaches now in any sport to start saying the, the, the quiet part out loud. You know that coaches – constantly are negative recruiting each other to recruit and you got to think that um nick saban and coaches and whatnot are saying anything that they can about jimbo fisher and the aggies to try to get some of these recruits away for them and it just seems like that that quiet part of negative recruiting has all of a sudden started leaking out uh into the public and and the coaches have to um that that's just the, the the way the world is working now. So I don't necessarily think, uh, you know, if you go into what Nick Saban was saying, yeah, there was a little barb there, but I don't think he necessarily had that tone or the the the, the smirk or the glimmer in his eye that this was necessarily going to be one of those big blown up shots at A and M. I think he was just caught up in the moment of what he was saying about NIL and and A and M had to get A and M got brought into it uh, and. I, I don't know. I think, like I said, I think it's just the quiet part is being said out loud now, and uh, coaches don't exactly know how to react to that because that's not something that's really been a part of the game lately. We're speaking with Travis Brown of the College Station Eagle here on Out of Bounds on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. 
Now, Travis, I, I guess it's one of those things, too, where, you know, we were discussing about, you know, oh, you know, who's right, who's wrong, whose side are you on and all that stuff. I think that there might be a, a little bit of blame to go around for everybody. But I don't know. I just look at, like, you obviously cover Texas A&M, and you know a lot more about it than me. Just from an outsider's perspective, I look at what A&M did in recruiting class, and I'm like, yeah, NIL had to play a part in that. It just seems like it makes the most sense. I'm not saying that A&M cheated. I'm not saying that they broke any rules. I just think that they probably saw the rules that were in place and utilized a lot of the NIL to help them sign the greatest recruiting class in the history of 24-7 sports. Uh, I mean, is am I the naive one? Am I naive and just not giving enough credit to Texas A&M? Or do you think that there was definitely some things going on where the NIL played a huge part in getting that great recruiting class? Well, you know, I think there's, I think, and a lot of reporters and and coaches and analysts and such have brought this point up in that name, image, and likeness compensation is a very nuanced category, and and it is nuanced and it's confusing not only because you know what Arkansas can do with its players in name, image, and likeness compensation is different than what Texas A&M can do because there's different state legislations on how that compensation can take place. And so ultimately what Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban were saying in all of this is that there needs to be uniformity. There needs to be a federal legislation to, to, to guide uh, all of this moving forward. Uh, so, so that being said, name, image, and likeness compensation, when it goes to players in a quid pro quo fashion that isn't pay for play, is legal. And, and once that student-athlete signs with a university and they've gotten out of high school, they can start being compensated for their name, image, and likeness. So yes, do I think, I mean, it's already been reported in the athletics and Andy Staples feature about the fund, A&M Collective, that there are members of the 2022 class that have already signed deals with the fund uh, for a single-digit million number uh, associated spread out through several of the athletes in that group. So, yes, are some of these signees in the 2022 class getting compensated for their name, image, and likeness? Yes. Yes, they are. What they have said and what Jimbo Fisher is countering here is that none of those players were enticed to Texas A&M by saying, hey, if you sign, we're going to give you a $600,000 contract to go you know, eat Frosties at a Wendy's or, or whatever the compensation might be. But I think that word gets out in recruiting circles that A&M has money, A&M has the fund, A&M has named this, that, or the other. And if you go there, there's a likely opportunity that you're going to get some cash uh, for, for suiting up with the Aggies. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Now, what they want, what these coaches are clamoring for, what, what the Wild West is, that there needs to be some, some more guardrails on what that looks like, who can talk to who, and and when those deals can get set in place. But no, I have not seen or heard of talk of anybody who has said that any of those players in the 2022 class were said, come here and we'll make sure that you're taken care of in this form or in this contract. But but once they got here, once that they signed that letter of intent, then they swooped in and said, okay, let's start setting you up with NIL, as is the case. Arkansas, Miami, Florida, any of these universities across the state, Tennessee, that are doing these kind of things, it's the same It's the same deal. Is it public knowledge where that funding is coming from, or is that just something that you know that it's there and you don't know the names of the companies that contribute to it? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Yes, there are deals that are being done by TC Creations, by – uh, Aggieland Outfitters by a lot of different companies down here that are working directly with the athletes 
to have their name, image, and likeness. But the thing that I am curious about is they do have this one collective called nicknamed The Fund, but they're deciding that unlike um, Tennessee's, unlike Miami's, unlike uh, uh, trying to think of some of the other ones, uh, Florida's, who have a name uh, for their collective and they're kind of out in the open and they're, they're, they're inviting people to come join, this is a small little uh, cabal, if you will, of, of high uh, money donors, A&M, that decided they want to do it just word of mouth and not do it necessarily out in the open. And, and my kind of argument back towards that is, okay, well, if name, image, and likeness is above board and it is legal, and, and as everyone has said, and you are doing this above board, why do we, why does it need to be cloak and dagger anymore? Uh, so Because there is a registered LLC, like all these collectives are, that is this quote-unquote the fund, but I don't necessarily believe that the fund is the name of it. They're just not giving out the name. There's not really any names, any sources in the Andy Staples story. We're unnamed. We're, we're anonymous as a part of that. So why necessarily do does that need to continue to be so cloak and dagger? I do have some reservations and some questions about that. Um, so, yeah, in some instances, it's, it's yes and no. In some instances, there's just local companies who are having guys come find autographs and uh, do little spots and social media posts, but there's also this other aspect of collective that is a little bit more behind closed doors that there isn't a lot of information about. You know, I've seen some people say after the remarks made by Jimbo, they're like, okay, well, this may be something that he regrets saying, or maybe this will be something that he will come out and apologize for. But I've even seen that Ross Dellinger reported that uh, Ross Bjork, the A&M athletic director, said that, hey, Nick Saban violated SEC rules by uh, having a lack of sportsmanship and saying that this is personal. Do you see Jimbo or A&M or anybody kind of backing down and say, hey, you know, uh, I said a lot of things in heat in the moment, probably should have not said it in that tone, but I stand by what I said. Do you think that there will be any backing down, or do you think there's going to be double downing from Texas A&M and Jimbo? No, I don't, I don't think there will be either. I think that I think that despite, you know, Jimbo Fisher's uh, seemingly off-the-cuff style of presentation. I think everything that he said today was extremely calculated. Um, I think that Jimbo Fisher and Ross York have a close relationship, so I would be um, shocked if what was being said and the tone and tenor of how things were going to be said today weren't a uh, run at the flagpole to him as, as, as well, and he wasn't necessarily behind it. Um, but I also don't think that – I think that by invoking and, and calling the conference into some of these matters and saying that maybe bylaws have been broken – I think that at the minimum, the SEC is going to sit everyone down and say, "Like guys, let's let's cut this out. Come on now." So I think I think w- once both parties got their their shots in on this one, I think that it's probably going to simmer, and you're probably not going to hear anything else much more about it. If you, when when asked when the game comes around in SEC media days, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of you know that's that's water under the bridge. We're going to move past it. We're not thinking about it anymore. We have the game coming up. Blah blah blah. This and that. And I think it'll probably be uh, shoved under the rug from here on out, if I have my take on it, because I think that um, that's probably the SEC, the conference office, will get involved and say, like, hey, let's let's cut this out. So with uh, with everything that's out there, and uh, you know, what are realistic expectations for Texas A&M coming up this season in football? Yeah, I mean, I think expectations are, are going to be pretty high with with this recruiting class and um, with with what all of this talk has to say. I don't necessarily think that you can bring in a, a bunch of, of really, really highly touted freshmen and expect to go right in and compete for the, the college football playoff, but I think that your A&M fans, 
people are going to want to see them in that mix high in the rankings. And then when you look at next year and the year after that, especially if you can stack recruiting classes, and if you want to follow that that Georgia model of things where you stack a couple of, of number one, number two classes on top of each other, and the next thing you know, you're you're competing for the playoff, you're in the playoff, and you're, and you're competing for national championships. I think that's where the expectations will be. So, you know, if, if A&M miss, it doesn't make the college football playoff this year, I don't think necessarily anyone is going to um, clamor too much as long as they're winning uh, double-digit games and are in that conversation. If they don't achieve that mark and, and things start trending downward, then, yeah, I think that their expectation, there, there is high expectations on the program for uh, probably a playoff berth sometime in the next two to three years. Um, so we'll have to see. Real quick, Travis, how excited are you now? Uh, extra, or I should say, extra excited are you for October eighth this this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's always going to be fun. I I think that that's one of the teams that expectations and and um, excitement is already going to be high anytime that the Aggies go and have to play uh, the, the Crimson Tide in in that fashion. So you'd almost want it to be with one of the other coaches to to, to bring up another one of the games that might have a little bit less storylines to write about because there's always plenty of storylines uh, to write about between those two programs. But, yeah, it's it's always fun. It's always electric. You know, A&M, has, it's funny, A&M has always, there's always been that conversation that A&M doesn't necessarily have that true natural rival or rival rivalry in the SEC ever since they left the Big 12. And they're going to have Texas and Oklahoma coming back into the fold in a couple of years. So it's like, well, you had to wait until now to get real feisty about stuff because, you know, it, it, those natural storylines are going to come into play when Texas is here. But, you know, better late than never, I guess. That is true. Travis Brown of the College Station Eagle. Appreciate it, man. Have a great afternoon. We'll be catching up with you later down the road. You got it. Anytime, guys.